Welcome to the Tango Juliet Foxtrot podcast. My name is Ian Donnelly. I spent 30 years in the police and I did a lot of interesting jobs during that time at many ranks. When I left the police, I wrote a book all about my experiences, the title of which, unsurprisingly, is Tango Juliet Foxtrot. But you'll need to read the book to understand what TJF stands for. This podcast is all about British policing, the good, the bad and the ugly. If you're interested in what policing's really like, this is definitely the podcast for you. In it, I interview lots of people who've done some amazing things in policing. And I also give you my thoughts on what's been going on in the news to help you understand how it all works or doesn't work sometimes. Caution is advised as some of the topics can be distressing and there's some swearing from time to time. So, here we go. Hello folks, Ian here, hope you're well. Welcome to episode 41 of the Tango Juliet Foxtrot podcast. This week I'm going to be interviewing uh, Lee Allen. It's really interesting um, for anyone who is even remotely interested in police technology or the way that technology is used to investigate crime. Lee uh, has been involved in that side of things for many, many years and was really one of the uh, early adopters, I suppose, or the kind of trailblazers for using computers and electronic devices and the data contained within those uh, devices to capture evidence relating to very serious offences. And Lee has, it's really interesting, it's kind of like a 101, a step back in time in how technology has been used over the last sort of 20, 25 years. So really enjoyed our chat. Before I do that, just uh, one story from the BBC News today that uh, I thought was interesting. Um, there's been a, an investigation by the BBC, which has been going on for some time now, into the really terrible state of policing and criminal justice in England and Wales. Um, I've got to say that uh, the BBC are a bit late to that particular party given that this is a situation that has been taking many years to reach the state that it's in at the moment. But uh, it's interesting, uh, if you want to have a look at that, uh, the article is called Crime Victims See Delays Rise and Charges Fall BBC Research Finds. And this is a investigation that has been going on for some time, it would appear. Um, yeah, interesting one. And I've always said this, that until this becomes a political issue, nothing's going to change in policing. Um, and certainly the Tories are starting to talk about crime a lot more. I think they, they can see themselves that it's all in a real mess. And uh, they rather ridiculously claim to be the, the party of law and order, which, uh, of course, anyone who knows anything about that at all knows that is a complete load of nonsense. But um, I think the current state is unsustainable and um, it's obviously now becoming a political issue. So we shall watch that one with great interest. Right, let's get into the interview with Lee. 
Morning, hey. Lee. Morning. How are Hi. you? Let me just... I'm, ver I'm very well. How are you? Yeah, good, thanks. Let me just turn my camera on. Oh, good man. There we hey, are. Hey, look at you. I've, yeah, I've been... Um, <laughs> yeah, there's so many of these different platforms, aren't there, at the moment? It's Google Meet. Oh, I know. <laughs> Zoom, Tell Teams. I, I know. Tell me about it. Well, that was, that was relatively seamless, I've got to say, compared to um, some of my... Some of my some of my guests um, are really tech savvy. Others less so. Um, sometimes um, you know we end up getting in all sorts. It's always a risk, isn't it? Trying to do things over internet. Um, oh yeah. I, I've got a friend Hugh who does a different podcast, sort of more of a military one, and he does all of his face to face, which mm -hmm. is brilliant. Um, he's got this very um, impressive studio which mm -hmm. is uh, from a converted shipping container. And he's got yeah. more technology in there you can shake a stick at and cameras from all sorts of different angles because he puts it up on YouTube. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, really, really impressive. Um, but of course, he has to physically sit um, face to face with people. Mm. And, um, and that requires a whole different level of logistical organization, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Although there's something about that connection, isn't there? There's something about the face-to-face -face <clears throat> that you don't that you don't get on on kind of in video conferencing. I think video conferencing still is a step on, isn't it, from the phone call? But yeah, the, there's something about that human connection, isn't there, when you're yeah. in a room with somebody? Yeah, definitely. And one of my previous um, podcast guests was my old boss, Clive Burgess, and I actually yeah. sat in his house with him. And that was really good fun. And um, yeah, there is definitely a slightly more, uh, yeah, it's different. It's a different dynamic, isn't it? Yeah, but listen, um, can I just say, um, thanks ever so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. Um, you've had a really, really interesting career, which is, you know, um, there's two reasons I want to get you on. Firstly, because you're a thoroughly nice chap. Um, oh, and, thank you. And, uh, and secondly, because I think you've had such a fascinating career which has sort of straddled uh, lots of different organisations mm -hmm. in policing. Yeah. Um, um, and now you've obviously uh, transitioned, well, you've transitioned into the private sector for yeah. the last sort of uh, quite a few years, really. So really interested to hear all about that. So yeah. uh, without further ado, um, mm -hmm. shall, we, shall we just um, talk about your life before you joined the police sort of where you kind of you know and, and your decision to join the police um to talk talk me through that uh, okay but it's um it's quite I've, I've, I've done a lot of reflection lately i think it's a process of getting older <laughs> you <laughs> to get older you, yeah you kind of you look back don't you and you think why why did i why did i make certain decisions at certain times because i'm quite fascinated by that because our life when you look at all the different opportunity costs, you know, by choosing to join the police, you, you're turning down other avenues and other yeah. opportunities and other yeah, ways yeah. to go. So why did I, why did I choose certain, certain areas? And, and I think it certainly comes back to um, my upbringing. Um, I was one of these, um, uh, there's been some news on it lately. It's become quite topical on one of these forced adoptions from the 1960s. Oh yeah. So kind of adopted into a into a family that was um, kind of 1960s parenting. Right. <laughs> so kind of from that, I just wanted to kind of get out and join the army. I, I was from a very early age. Right. I lived by a wood. And, and one of the one of my kind of escapes 
We used to go and play in the wood. Uh, and I so do you to, mean you were adopted, you, you, you were actually, <clears throat> or, or were you using that as a sort of a metaphor, so to speak? No, I was actually adopted. Oh, right, was, okay. Yeah I, was, yeah, I was adopted in the early 60s. Um, right, okay. Uh, a forced, one of these forced adoptions because oh, really? at the time... Really, so, so explain what that means, because I, I, I sort of was nodding as if I understood, but actually oh, okay. then, I, then um, I actually thought, no, I haven't got a bloody clue what you're on about. So. <laughs> <laughs> okay, no, no problem at all. No problem at all. Sorry, that's my fault. Um, it's, uh, it's the time, it was the time where uh, if, you're a, if you're a kind of a single person and, and got pregnant and you, were, and you weren't married, there weren't any... Um, there weren't any benefits or anything at that time for that sort of scenario. So a lot of uh, a lot of people were forced to give up their give up their oh, babies. Oh, gosh, that's sad, uh, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it is. It is really, really sad. So I was one of those kind of uh, babies born to a kind of a single mum and was, was given up for adoption in the early 60s. So I kind of went to a new family when I was probably, I think, about three or four months old, something like that. Right. Um, and, and from there, kind of that new family... Um, I spent just a lot of time trying to get away from for for all sorts of bizarre, probably psychological reasons. Trying right. to, and did you um, and and, and um, did you know that you were adopted? Yeah, yeah, right, right. from I, that's you know the parents did a did a great thing there. Of, of I don't remember ever being told, but I always remember knowing. Right. So it was kind of pretty good. Um, but but I um I really do think I really do think. The, the and there's a lot of research on this. I've looked a lot, a lot into it over the years. There's a lot of research around the trauma of, of, of what happens with adoption and that kind of thing. I really do think that's some of that. And then subsequently, the kind of the family I went into kind of forged me at a very early age to be quite independent, right? And and kind of make my own way. And and in the military, um, I joined very young. I joined at 16. Oh gosh. Um, so do you mind, where, which part of the country were you growing up in then? I was growing up in uh, a village near, in between Nuneaton and Coventry. Oh, right, okay. So um, a small village there, um, right by the side of a big wood. So like I say, I used to play in the wood all the time, go off and, and pretend to kind of be in the army. And even from an early age, I can't remember ever wondering why I wanted, where it came from, but I always knew I wanted to be in the army. Right. Uh, so as soon as I could, um, my mum and dad didn't want me to join the army, so I kind of uh, persuaded an uncle to go to the army recruitment with me. Yeah, <laughs> and sign the forms 16. and everything. God, that's so young, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, craggy. Yeah, yeah. Boy really soldier. Young. Yeah, boy soldier. Uh, I wanted um, my one of my first kind of favourite, very favourite films actually, and it still is to this day. Was a film called The Bridge Too Far. Yeah, yeah, one of, one, of, one of my favourite films as yeah, well, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Huge messages in that for a young young kid. Yeah. So I wanted to be in the Paraget Regiment. Right. And I was desperate to join the Paraget Regiment, so I just went and sat my test. But I did quite well on my test. Um, so they kind of showed me a board and said, on this board of uh, trades here, you can be the top trade. You can be an apprentice aircraft technician right. from the test you've done. So I thought, oh, okay, well, that sounds all right. Not exactly yeah, yeah. what I wanted to do. Sounds all right. So... Off I went to the Arborfield College at 16 as an apprentice aircraft technician. I, I, I'm not sure whether they keep any charts or anything, but I'm, if they did, I'd probably be the worst student they've ever had because <laughs> <laughs> it just wasn't my thing. Yeah. Um, I was probably doing it to impress everybody else. Look look at me, you know, <laughs> daft lad from Ali. I'm now an apprentice <laughs> aircraft technician, but I wasn't very good at it. I was a bit immature. I was not this what I wasn't soldiering for well, me. You're just a child, aren't you? Really? Yeah. That yeah. To be fair. Yeah. yeah. So uh, I was I was given an ultimatum after a couple of years of 
uh, we can either find you, you can either tell us that this isn't for you and we'll find you something nice or we'll find you something different <laughs> to go yeah, and do yeah, yeah. Uh, so I said well do you know what this isn't for me can you find me something nice so um at, at the time they said look you, the parachute regiment you know so I said well I'll just go and join the parachute regiment and they were saying look the parachute you, 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 you it's not really for you we don't think so what they thought was the military police right uh and I thought okay <clears throat> That'd be interesting. So off I went to the to the military police. You're 18 at this point, yeah. I was 18 at this point, yeah. I was 18. I just turned 18 when I went to uh, went to the military police. I went to their training centre down in Chichester. Not there now. It's a housing estate, I think. Right. Um, spent six months there, and it was there that I really, I suppose, the first the light bulb moment around policing and what policing means started to mean something to me. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and it was much more much more around keeping people safe and it doesn't sound that actually with the military police it sounds more of a more of a kind of a, the military side of it rather than the pedian principal side of it but yeah. actually it, it it was it was mm. and and it for, for me that's where the spark i think of kind of keeping people safe came from yeah being being part of that military family and learning the the lessons from the military at the same time as trying to keep people safe. And I was only 18 at yeah. the time, you know, yeah. um, and I moved into kind of um, general police duties and then some close protection work and right. quite a varied military oh, career. Yeah, yeah. I really uh, what were you fascinated. Based, uh, were you based abroad or? Oh, I was based all over. I started off in London um, doing, doing some uh, uh, work in London and then I moved to Germany. Mm-hmm. Uh, from Germany, I then moved to Holland. Worked at Allied Forces Central Europe in uh, in Holland. So, what, at the year, same... what, what year are we talking about? Roughly, I'm just trying to think in my head. We're talking about the eighties now. So, London. So would that's have been... when provisional IRA would have been targeting British soldiers in yeah, Germany. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. They? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, um, and uh, and in Allied Forces Central Europe, my my job there essentially was some there were some um, high level generals and people there that were being targeted by the IRA, and I was helping keep them safe and stuff. Uh, and then um, I was pretty good with uh, weapons. I was uh, I've done a lot of training weapons. I'm not a massive fan of guns, but I kind of worked out pretty quick that to keep yourself safe, you've got to get good with these things because yeah, yeah. these things are going to be uh, are going to help you. So I kind of learned quite a lot about weaponry, and I got quite good at weaponry. Um, uh, and then I moved to Northern Ireland. The last two years of my career within Northern Ireland. All right, okay. Where were you based? In Thetford Barracks, was it? Yeah, yeah, I was based in Lisbon, Lisbon and Thiepel. That's where I grew up. Ah, did you? Right, excellent. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, my, yeah. my family lived about half a mile from Thiepel Barracks, so mm. I used to walk past it on my way to school pretty much every day. Ah, brilliant. Well, my lad was born in Lisbon. Oh, really? Um, yeah, 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 he was born there. I mean, that was that was quite tricky. Being dual, a, nas- dual nationality. He's quite proud of that now with Brexit and everything. He keeps telling me. Yeah, that's right. Well, he can get an Irish passport, can't he? Yeah, he's, he's got one. He's got one. Has he? Has he? Good yeah. Man. Good, yeah. Good he's, uh, he's, he's settled over there as well. Didn't he's, waste um, any time then. Not at all. No, not at all. He's quite. He's he's quite. Um, he's quite proud of his uh, of his uh, of his Irish heritage. Actually, just uh, just from mm. that, it's it's quite. Yeah, it's quite. Uh, keeps you supplied with tiro cheese and onion crisps, does he? Yeah, well, no, no, he's moved over there now. He's got himself, he's so, he's, he's so ingrained, he's got himself a 
not wife yet, but soon to be uh, Irish partner and all right okay settled in over there really has gone for it really has gone for it yeah yeah um so i did two years in uh, in northern ireland uh playing clothes um uh, in- thoroughly massively enjoyed my enjoyed my time there i was told at the time that this would be the best job you've ever you've ever had and i thought no it can't be because you know it's got to be better jobs than this you always think where you are yeah. that you, there's something better further on don't you mm-hmm. um but after a while then i've got started to get a young family and stuff and thinking this is no life for you know this is more of a single chap's life really than yeah yeah dragging them so, around dragging them yeah. around various postings yeah around. yeah it wasn't something that i was kind of keen on really um so I, I was looking to join the IUC at, at the time. It was the IUC, um, but my my partner at the time just wasn't keen on staying in the, in, in Northern yeah. Ireland. It was yeah. it was a dodge. It wasn't. It, it was wasn't a very a nice very place. dangerous time in Northern Ireland. It was a dangerous it? time. So just yeah. again, just so what year are we talking here? Is this late? We're eighty nine. Yeah, yeah, very 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 dangerous yeah. time, wasn't it? I mean, yeah, it was. I'd kind of joined the I joined the um, the police by that stage, but but certainly. Um, yeah, there was a lot of nasty, bad stuff going on, wasn't there? Yeah, around that yeah, time? there was. Yeah, there was. It wasn't a, it wasn't particularly at all a nice place to be. So I could understand her reticence. So I applied for um, uh, West Mercia actually, because when uh, one of I can't remember it was early on in my army career, I'd spent some time in Donington near Telford, and I just thought Shropshire was a lovely county. If I ever kind of settled anywhere yeah. after the forces, I'd really like to settle there. So I applied for West Mercia. Um, got into uh, West Mercia, so left the army in '91. Right, and joined joined West Mercia as, a, right, okay. as a police officer. So, where did you do your training? Uh, Cumbran. Right. Okay. Everyone went to Cumbran in those that's days. Funny, that, it's funny, side. isn't it? It's funny, isn't it? The way that people yeah. get sort of ship. I mean, obviously in the Met, everybody goes to Hendon, don't they? But mm. oh, it certainly did until until bloody Theresa May probably closed <laughs> down all the training schools. But. Um, uh yeah sorry i just had to get that in there <laughs> <laughs> no, you're right though <laughs> never miss an opportunity no, no, um, no, you're right. <laughs> um but uh yeah it's funny isn't it you've got bruce i'm having you up in warrington was it and then you yeah, had Cumbran, right. and then you had yeah. Wrighton in coventry that's right and uh, yeah. you had all sorts of places so yeah so west mercy went to Cumbran for all their training did they yeah i think so at that time yeah i'm not i'm not too sure what happens now but at that time it was Cumbran and um um and there was quite a few all the welsh forces obviously quite a few people it's quite a large training school as i remember uh, from that time so yeah so when went to Cumbran, i had no uh, intention of doing any sort of firearms or anything in policing the um i it, it, in my mind it wasn't compatible with the kind of the training i'd had i just thought i'm gonna have to have to unlearn some of this stuff and right. it's very very tricky to unlearn training and relearn new training and different rules of engagement and everything else so yeah, yeah. Um, uh, I kind of went down the uh, just general. I stayed as a general uh, beat officer for for three or four years. Thoroughly enjoyed it. Just yeah. thoroughly enjoyed where it. Were you, where know. were you posted to? I was in Shrewsbury. Shrewsbury, okay. Yeah. So it's um, fairly sizable. Time you probably get a real yeah. mix, a mix of stuff there. I imagine. Yeah, proper mix, proper mix. But kind of, I just loved it. I mean, every um, it was different, very very different, clearly from the military, but. Um, one of the things around the military, which uh, I kind of didn't like so much, is a lot of downtime. Mm. You know, there's a lot of downtime, a lot of waiting about. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. You you train a lot, you train a lot, and you hone your skills, and then you wait about for a long time, mm. and you may or may not use. 
you know yeah, um, yeah so you train yeah. a lot to think for scenarios you may or may not ever be in that's right um and and you do you do hang, hang around a lot particularly kind of when you're protecting people or something you're just sat in kitchens or yeah, you know, yeah you're right. sat in a car for hours yeah, or you're sat terrible. you know you become, you become fantastic bullshitters, though, don't you? And because yeah. I've done, I mean, surveillance is a bit like that. You know, you it's either yeah. it's either you're going at a hundred miles an hour, yeah. very very often, yeah. li- literally, or or you're sat around waiting for something to happen. And uh, yeah, there's an awful lot of bollocks gets talked in those yeah. kind, of, <laughs> kind of jobs, isn't there? Yeah. Oh, completely. completely. We used to psych. We used to sort of the the conversations would go from sex. <laughs> to um slagging off the management to yeah. just complete bollocks about whatever you'd maybe some film you'd watched and then, yeah, yeah. And, then and then food and then, <laughs> and then and then back to sex again <laughs> yeah that's just about right that's just about right so what so what i what i really loved about policing different to the um different to the military was every day every day for several parts of your day it was somebody else's worst day ever. Yeah. And you yeah. were there to help them through it yeah. every day. Yeah. You know, every day you were helping somebody through their worst day ever. I know. Um, and, and I found that really quite powerful. Mm. You know, you'd finish your shift and think, crikey, that, you know, yeah. um, I've, oh, I've, yeah. I've been able to help that person through their worst day ever, either yeah. at the scene of an accident or yeah. something's gone wrong or they've, you know they've, they've been the victim of a horrific crime or something or or even just some low level stuff that's just been going on for years and ground them down you know some antisocial yeah. stuff yeah but you've been able to kind of put in a solution or work them yeah. through it or yeah. get them a move and that's or a, do something it's an interesting one you mentioned that antisocial stuff and we used to deal with an awful lot of it and um it doesn't seem to be, and the stats tend to bear this out now, don't they? That, that doesn't mm. seem to be as much of a problem now. And I've got my own theories as to why that is. I think some of it is about things like online gaming for young mm-hmm. teenage boys. I've got my own theory that half of them are thrashing themselves to death on Pornhub or something. You know? <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah. but, but, one, but one way or another, they tend not to hang around the streets causing a problem. Um, mm. Whereas the days, the, the period of time that you're talking about, it was a nightmare, wasn't it? It was a nightmare. Yeah, yeah it was absolute nightmare. And you could, you could, um, yeah, you, you could, you could make more of a difference in those scenarios than you could in some other more traditional areas of policing that people generally talk about. You can make a, a real difference to people's lives in, the, in that in those scenarios. So I really enjoyed the general police duties. Um, I um, I then got involved in um, the CID. I did a CID aid, got involved right. with the, um, started to do some more work as a DC. Um, I was a DC as a, in, doing lots of lots of things within the typical kind of CID, but then I kind of branched out and became the drugs intelligence officer for North Shropshire and started right. doing drug <laughs> stuff. But but um, this for me, this is where the more... Uh, I kind of the penny dropped, I suppose, around prevention work with mm. drugs. I was kind of getting a bit fed up seeing the same people arresting the same people for the same things. And most of the times they were just they were more victims themselves, really. Yeah, definitely. Um, for for the from the drug side of it. So I was looking at a kind of again, very kind of unsexy side of policing, but for me it made more of a difference of looking at some of the root causes on some mm. of these estates. You know, why why are why is this a druggy estate what's going on here yeah um 
can we work with the housing people? Can we move people about? Can we work with the local authority to change mm. some things? Can we put some lighting up here? Can we do this? Can we do that? Can we get a can we get a youth club going? Can we, you know, all these kind of things that um kind of all the different elements of it? Because at the end, at the end of the day, and it's a kind of a theme of what I'm interested in. Quite often with strategy, either kind of local or national, or whatever, people are looking at kind of the symptoms and yeah. tackling the symptoms and not yeah. tackling the cause. Yeah. And there's a lot of that goes on. And, and, and there in the drugs side of it, I started getting much more into looking at root causes. Yeah. And doing that. And that was, <clears throat> did that for a few years, quite interesting. But and just one to, of the, just this sorry. Is, what year are we talking about now? I just saw now we're talking kind of 90, mid 90s. Right. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So, so this mid nineties. This is probably you know before county lines became an issue. Way before um, all that. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So, so drug issues tended to be quite geographically focused, didn't they? Really. Yeah. So your your yeah. local your local dealers would be based in your local community, and um, you know, yeah. they'd have they'd have maybe one or two little runners here and there, but it was not nothing on the sort of scale that we've seen. No. No, no, nothing at all. You had your um, being Shrewsbury and partly kind of the West Midlands over there and just on the Welsh border, you had kind of um, when you get up to kind of level two and level three criminality, you had your people from kind of Liverpool and Birmingham kind of, you know, coming across. But you didn't have the runners and all that kind of the county lines where you've got now. You did. That wasn't that wasn't the setup. Mm -hmm. No, you're exactly right. So um but, but I, I kind of did that for a few years. But one of the things I always kind of like to do, and I still do it now, is I, I'm, I'm a very much a believer of looking forward, not back. Yeah. So I always kind of try to look forward and think, what's, what's inevitable? What's, mm. what's inevitable? What's going to happen? And how do I prepare myself to move into that space? So yeah. uh, at that time, there was inevitability. I mean, I, I, I've always been fairly technical with a small t mm. and at that time I was interested in personal computers and computing and yeah. and I'd, I'd built my own that sounds grand but it's not really you just get the bits put them together and kind of yeah. tinker yeah. um so I was I, I could see some kind of inevitability around computer crime mm -hmm. and and I'm thinking what well, if I'm doing this uh and can make some pretty good headroom headway with it then criminals must be doing it too and they must be doing it better than me yeah. Um, because I'm I'm just applying a bit of thought to it. They, they, this is going to be their world. So yeah. uh, there was inevitability about that. So I thought I want to get involved in that. Um, so quite, I did. Quite, I, quite quite far sighted, wasn't it? Really, in those days. I, I mean, very most, much. Most cops were avoiding technology like a plague, weren't they? Yeah, at yeah, that time? yeah. There yeah, they classic were. Classic expression, which people you still hear today, don't you? I don't do technology. Well, certainly in those days you're describing, hardly anyone did technology, did they? So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They did. Hardly anybody did. But, but funny enough, the criminals were doing it pretty well. Mm. They were well ahead of us. Still are, mm. uh, well ahead of us. Um, and and that crashed into a couple of bugbears for me. One is, um, I really, really don't like to see people getting away with stuff. Mm. Uh, and two, um, so getting away with stuff. So, and, and and two, um, this inevitability thing of I need to learn that a bit mm. like the kind of the firearms in the thing, and then the kind of policing need to learn about my local community mm. in computer. I need to learn about this because yeah. these people are acting with impunity, and we've got yeah. to do something about it. So, um, I was asked because of that. I was asked with a friend of mine to kind of set up and start West Mercy's first high-tech crime unit. 
Oh, which awesome. was which was in a broom cupboard in the, in the old <laughs> the old it was I mean it's a multi million pound complex now but at the time yeah. it was service yeah. in a broom cupboard yeah um and we were just sent on some courses and there was this kind of this thought of you know how do you do this do you do you take some techies and teach them the law or do you take some police officers and teach them some techie yeah uh, and at the time I think I pretty much agreed with the get police people and teach them the technical because there's a lot there's there's a lot of stuff where in the background you've got to be interested in the mission yeah the mission here is what we're trying to do keep yes. people safe not the mission isn't can we get our heads into the technology and is, yeah. it, can we just it's all whizzing the, the interest is not the technology the yeah. interest is what you're trying to do yeah. so at the time i think it was probably the right decision to teach yeah you know, uh, please. Um, which, which is why, um, and we'll come on to this later on, which is why it's really, really important for tech companies who are producing solutions for law enforcement to have kind of well-informed, uh, knowledgeable police officers working with them because um, very often they'll produce solutions that might be very clever, but are of very little practical benefit to your average detective. Um, and, and don't sort of actually really assist a criminal prosecution, do they? No, no, not at all. And 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 sometimes uh, I'm I'm it, I, I'm often think about a scenario when I was um, I was in London working for the National High Tech Crime Unit, and um, we'd had there was a particular issue with an internet calf where we were trying to find out somebody in the calf. We were trying to find out what email address they were using so we could kind of um we could we could put some technical around that so we as the kind of the technical people had looked at lots of different scenarios lots of different scenarios technically about how you can put a line into the cat how you can do some kind of remote monitoring some hacking some ethical hacking all this kind of mm -hmm. stuff we mm -hmm. kind of mapped it all out but none of it was working none of it because mm -hmm. it's such a tricky complex thing to try and achieve we tried all this kind of stuff and at the time, we had somebody, um, uh, an undercover, a level one undercover officer that needed some time out. So he mm. was just working with us just to kind of keep his head down for a bit. Yeah. Uh, became a good friend of mine, actually. But he he was just, I said, come to this briefing with me. It's, you know, it's all technical. You won't really, but you'll understand the principles. Um, but mm. come and, because I just thought, just try and see what you can add to this. Because yeah. he was a very good, he was a, he was a good diverse thinker. Mm -hmm. as many kind of UCs are he, so he kind of came along and was sat listening to us just sat in the background listening to us talking and uh he said um why don't I just go in and shoulder surf and look at the email address over his shoulder <laughs> yeah well, <laughs> we were, seems like a sorry? sounds like sounds like a plan <laughs> yeah, yeah sorry yeah why don't why don't you teach me where to look at the screen and why don't I just walk in and have a look um, <laughs> what a great it'll never, idea it'll never catch on it'll never catch on so we did that we taught him where to look he went and looked and hey presto we managed to get the, the right email address okay. um so it's not always about the technical you know it's yeah, it's, a, yeah. it's a blend it's a blend yeah, um yeah. and if you don't have that right blend you're exactly right if you don't have that right blend you go off down the technical route yeah and you end up with something that uh, is well wider the mark yeah or or too technical or people kind of get too tied up with the what it what it could do rather yeah. than what it should do 
yeah. You know, you get you get into ethical kind of considerations and everything else around. Right. I know it can do that, but we yeah. shouldn't do that. You know, yeah, or, yeah. just because you can doesn't mean you should. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Or it's disproportionate to what we're trying to do here, or the yeah. collateral for uh, you know the privacy issues around what you way too big for what you're trying to do there you know yeah yeah uh, and and so i i i've always i've always minded around keeping keeping the blend of kind of the operational and the with, the, with the technical yeah, yeah. yeah so going back to the <clears throat> sort of genesis of the west mercia high-tech crime unit um what typically what kind of stuff were you dealing with back in those early days it was pretty much all um child abuse right it was pretty much all child abuse. Online we, child abuse. Online child abuse, yeah. Yeah, there was a lot of national operations at the time, if you remember, Operation yeah. War and some of That's the others. That's right, yeah. Um, and it was pretty much all, it was it was pretty much all that. And that was, um, it was a shocker, you know. It yeah. was, uh, we, in those days, there wasn't any training or anything. You were straight into it. Uh, and it was pretty horrific, you know. It's, um, yeah. it, which is another reason why I think, um, at that time, having police officers trained up technically was better because what we would do is, with any of these either horrific images or even worse, the videos with sound and stuff, we would come at it from a point of view of investigate this, mm. you know, find out who's done this. So yeah, yeah. You, you would spend your time looking at other things on the video or the picture trying to identify yeah, victim or the perpetrator yeah. locations or anything so it was that investigative mindset yeah was better than putting say somebody that didn't have that mm. just mm. had technical knowledge with those sort of things in front of them i think that could have been yeah. that would have that would have been so, so that's an interesting one just maybe just dive into that for a minute in terms mm. of the impact <clears throat> the impact of doing those jobs so so there's you you've um come out of the army you've gone into the police you've kind of done a few things um yeah. and then you've ended up in this sort of new role that didn't really exist sort of you know yeah. every force in the country was probably building similar yeah. sorts of capabilities but it was very much early days wasn't it yeah, um, it was, and, there, yeah. and there you find yourself sort of day after day examining computers and electronic devices well it's going to be lap it's going to be desktops and uh, desktops and laptops yeah. isn't it probably it in was, those yeah. days yeah. um and extracting that stuff um in order to you know, uh, support a, an investigation and a prosecution. Mm -hmm. But from a welfare point of view, um, was any consideration back in those days given to people like you who were having to sit and go through this bloody horrible stuff? And I've seen it myself, and it it really does make you it turns your stomach. Um, and uh, I mean, was you know how, how what what impact did that have on you at that time? And did you was there any consideration given to supporting you from a welfare point of view it was um yeah it's a really good it's a really good question the um at the time not too much really you 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 kind of uh, as part of the interview process for the for the job you're asked about you know you're going to see these things and mm. and all that but um and you're asked you know your thoughts on that but you're not the, the support wise it wasn't really the time for that it was mm. It was back to what we all probably remember in those times. You know, it was the dark humour. Yeah. It was your mates. It was mm. popping to have a drink afterwards. It was all that mm. kind of stuff that, um, you know, talking nowadays, I suppose they call it talking therapy, but it was just chatting with your mates about it. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And you would, there was a real, um, 
there is a real culture of supporting each other mm-hmm. you know um on the team there was uh it, it's all it's all horrific mm-hmm. but there are worse jobs than others so there was a bit of a kind of a, a, a even between when there was only three or four of us as, as the team grew quite quickly there was a kind of a, um an unspoken kind of rule that if somebody had had a really bad job yeah then that you know go off and do some training or yeah uh you know uh, do do some because at the time we used to kind of do our own network we started off with me and my mate we put an ethernet cable between our two laptops that was our network and then after a while we got a kind of a a hard drive to store stuff on and then that got bigger and bigger and bigger and then we had to connect other things to it um it didn't want to know anything about it because of course you know we don't know anything about that so you ended up becoming yeah. your own network people and building your own thing so yeah. you'd say look you've, you know go and spend a couple of weeks getting our network sorted getting adding more storage and just getting your head away from it yeah um so we had that kind of thing going on and you always if somebody had had another a real bad one then the next one hopefully wasn't so bad and, and yeah although you never know until you open up the computer yeah. what, what yeah. you're going to see but it was it, so that was the only kind of support network we had and mm. When I look back now, I kind of think, well, it wasn't great. It mm. wasn't great because it, it it really. I mean, I'm I'm a, I'm a huge fan of therapy counselling, and later on, um, because of some of my military stuff, I had quite a lot of counselling. Mm. Um, and I just think that, you know, there's. Uh, I'm hoping there's not so much stigma attached to that nowadays because. No, I'm sure there isn't. Thank and I don't think there is because. I think you know if you if you want to kind of exercise your muscles or anything, or if you've got anything wrong mm-hmm. physically, then you do physical treatment. Well, then yeah. you know, Craggy, we need to do the same around our brains, don't we? Yeah, you know, we've so, got to yeah. we've got to do all that around our brains. And it wasn't it wasn't that as you'd know, it, it wasn't that sort of atmosphere at the time. Yeah. But yeah. since since I've had to do a lot of work mm. um, to kind of fix some of that. Well, yeah, fix well, the right word, I is say, it? I say of, that I say that all the time. It doesn't go away just because you don't no, deal with. Just because you do, don't deal with it at the time doesn't mean that you're not certainly going to doesn't at go some away. Point. <laughs> no, and and one of the things about the military for me was I was very good at compartment, um, can't even say the word, but putting things in boxes and yeah. closing the lid and forgetting about it. Yeah, I was quite good at that. But you're exactly right that mm. you can only do that for mm. so long, and then the lids come popping off. That's right. You know? That's right. So the um, the majority of your work then at that time is uh, child abuse uh, yeah. Im- imagery, either yeah. either from hands on abusers, um, yeah. presu- presumably videoing it or recording it in some way, um, yeah. and storing it on devices or uh, internet offenders. Um, yeah. So uh, presumably that capability starts to grow then, and you grow with it. Is that is that right? Yeah. Yeah. The capability grew. I grew grew with it. Um, at about the same time, so we're talking 2001, 2002, mm. a lot of money was put into the National High Tech Crime Unit, where they were trying to bring it together nationally and, and do it. And I was asked to go down to Docklands to help set up the digital forensics team down there to do the same thing, but nationally. Right. Um, and also to start targeting different people, start targeting, instead of targeting the individual users, start to try and start target the people that are causing this stuff. At go the, upstream, yeah. Upstream, yeah. Yeah, and and at the same time, I got more, much more interested in um, uh, kind of hacking and how people were using using computers for criminality, and the and the national had 
um, more of a remit around that, not just the child abuse stuff. So it was, for me, I was able to get much more into kind of the, some of the network intervention stuff, the hacking stuff, yeah. um, uh, and get away a little bit from the um, from the child abuse stuff. So from a governance point of view, who kind of owned the National High Tech Crime Unit in those days? Was that a national? Was that was it? Did that sit under the umbrella of the National Crime? Well, it wasn't the National Crime Agency in those days, was it? It, it, was, it was housed. It was housed. We were all badged National Crime Squad. National crime squad. So it was it was housed in the National Crime Squad, but it was a home office. It was one of these um uh, I forgot the phrase now, the non-something government body what I can't remember where it's where it's it's housed there, but actually it reported direct to the Home Secretary, a bit like the NCA became Quangle kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, it, that's what it was. And 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 it was a it added a lot of money from the um it was kind of public private partnerships with industry. Right. And a lot of money from um, what sort of pe- how many people roughly in those days when it, you first went there? Roughly how many people we're we talking about? Oh, we're people? talking probably less than a hundred, probably 70 people, something like that, split into four teams. So you had analysts, you had digital forensics, you had investigators, uh, and you had um uh, intelligence. Right. So you kind of work would come in, the analyst would get it worked up, it would go to the operational teams, we would then work closely with the operational teams on the technical side and, and work with the intelligence people, because there was a big, big part of it was intelligence gathering as well. Right. Um, so so, um, so you're you're obviously working in Docklands then, does that mean that yeah. you're, you're commuting or did you relocate? No, they, um, it was the time when they kind of, uh, two of us, um, they, they put you into flats in Docklands. So there was kind of um, two bedroom flats where one, somebody else would have the other bedroom, you'd have the bedroom, the flats would have a bathroom. One one of the bedrooms was en suite and there was a bathroom. So one person would end up with the en suite, right. the other person would have the bathroom and you just worked it like that. And you and so I went down on early on Monday mornings uh, and came back late, back up to Shrewsbury late on, on Fridays. And how did that work from a family point of view? Oh, not, not great. I mean, it was... Um, you know, the um, it wasn't because of the nature of it, national, both international, there was a lot of travel. So you're, I was away a lot. Um, the weekends, you know, we always used to kind of say you can't turn up on a Friday tired when your family's not seen you all week. You've got to yeah. turn up all happy and smiles. Yeah. And what are we going to yeah. do now? And come yeah. on, kids, yeah. let's go and do this. Let's go and do that. But quite often because of the nature of the work, that's the last thing you wanted to do. You just wanted to go and crawl under a duvet or something. Really. Yeah, yeah. I've got a good mate who did had a similar sort of life for a while, and his his missus, his wife, is a very 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 good friend of ours. Um, she used to make me laugh. She'd say he'd come home expecting me to be rolling out the red carpet and putting up and putting up the bunting, you know. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and I would turn around yeah. to him and said, "There's washing in the lawn in the washing machine. Can you hang it out to dry?" Yeah, that's <laughs> you know right. what I mean? Yeah, he'd go, right. "Oh, but I've been away yeah. all week." And she's like, "I don't yeah. give a shit." The kids are hungry. Yeah, uh, I'm yeah. making the tea. Can you get the laundry out? Yeah, yeah. it's uh, it, it's a really good point because uh, I'm one of my other fascinations is story. I, I'm really fascinated by story and the science of storytelling and everything. Yeah, and um, and and one of the things, and we're, we're we're all the heroes of our own story, aren't we? Or we like to think so anyway. <laughs> so it was very much kind of the hero returns on the Friday. Oh, yeah, you know, yeah. From, from his, yeah, with uh, the, slaughtered, his... the slaughtered the <laughs> slaughtered deer over your <laughs> shoulders. Right. Yeah, you know? that's it, yeah. The hero returns and everybody else, you know. But actually, no, you're exactly right. Everyone else is utterly indifferent. Yeah, yeah utterly <laughs> indifferent and don't care what you've been doing. All you've been doing actually is you've not been here. 
So, I, yeah. so you've not been here doing and that's, this. So and this can... is, and just to kind of, <laughs> at the risk of digressing too much, um, there's a really good point here, isn't there? And there's something there about the not the potential risk of narcissism creeping into the role of a law enforcement professional because because very often and i've been guilty of this definitely in the past where you think i am so fucking important and my job is so important that i can't i've got everyone else has got to work around me you know yeah and 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 i would say to anyone listening to this who is who is a you know on a bit of a trajectory in law enforcement you know you're really getting into your job you're really enjoying it you love it you're doing some really interesting important stuff but just be careful about that just be careful that you don't think that you in your head you turn into johnny big bollocks because the bottom line is your family need you to be around for them don't they yeah it's uh it's i think that's a great point i've not really thought about it like that um really but there's so much of that there is so much of that and i've been guilty of it too from time to time where you know you think that your your aspect your role is so central and only you can drag everybody else through and all this kind of stuff and you feel it all on your own shoulders and you're carrying all these people um it's only where i think when you get older and the experience shows you that actually we're we're a connected world and it's only yeah. the connections and relationships that you know it's it's collaborations that get things done these days it's not individual lone geniuses or anything that's, no, it's, right. Uh, that's right it's it's collaborations and cooperation that does stuff yeah. um yeah. and you have to be part of that you have to know your role yeah and be in that collaboration and that thing and your role is rarely yeah. shouldering everybody else it's not to shoulder yeah. everybody else's burdens and yeah, drag yeah. everybody else through yeah. and become yeah. the kind of the hero in your own story yeah it's uh, a really it's interesting one isn't it people go into different <clears throat> organizations for different reasons don't they but the reason yeah. most people go into policing is because they want to genuinely change the world one yeah. person's sort of life at a time if that doesn't sound yeah. too pretentious but but it's true isn't it and but the danger with that is in people in other sectors get the buzz out of the big bonus that they make that year yeah. or or the promotion or the, yeah. the swanky new company car or whatever yeah. cops tend to get that same sort of buzz out of a successful complex outcome for a successful yeah. complex uh, prosecution or yeah. pu- putting the dangerous person behind bars but what what tends to you know the danger in the same way that the the business the businessman or woman might spend all week away from home or, or or abroad away from their young family growing up and that's time that they'll never get back you know yeah. it's just something that people need to be a little bit careful about isn't it they they, they really do they really do and um it, it's yeah it, it's when when i look back on kind of the time at docklands you know one of the one of my favorite favorite occasions was um we were uh, targeting a hacker uh, it caused an, an awful lot of kind of uh, in, in those days you could cause much more destruction with it um cause a lot of damage um with with the hacking that he'd done and i was uh he was in his bedroom and i was stood next to him and his computer was on and then it was a, you know I, I was a huge advocate still am actually it's a real bugbear of mine around we turn we, we lose so much by just turning these computers off just mm. turn the computer off and put it in a bag and send it to the lab 
Mm. Um, I've always been an advocate of dealing with them when they're on because you get so much more information from your computer when it's on yeah. than you do when it's just turned off. In fact, when you turn it off, you lose so much. Mm. Um, so the, the computer's on and the, the, the kind of the, the, the icons are on the bottom and the, mm. this hacker, very clever chap in his 20s, is sat on his bed and he's and I'm going through saying, uh, um, I'm very mindful that there might be some timed encryption. So I'm quickly going through some stuff and trying to identify whether there is encryption running and whether how we turn it off. Mm. Uh, and I'm going through these things and I'm pointing at different icons very quickly saying, what's that, what's that, what's that? And I got to one and said, what's that? He said, that's my anonymizing software. I said, what does that do? Uh, he said, that's, that keeps me anonymous on the internet. And, mm. I looked at, and he looked at me and I looked at him and I said, well, it's not very good, is it? Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm stood in your bedroom. <laughs> <laughs> you might need some new software. <laughs> yeah, you might need some new software. And it was that, again, I went, finished that job and, and it saved me for a long time that here I am, I'm the Billy Bollocks. I've kind of, yeah, I've yeah. found, found you and... Yeah, and all that, and and you do the the, the um. That's well, a massive adrenaline buzz, isn't it? It's huge adrenaline adrenaline buzz because you've 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 worked through a lot of complexity to kind of get that. But on the grand scheme of things, you know, I, I at the time I'd, I've done a lot, but there's so much that brings that together. Yeah, as part yeah. of a team, that it wasn't actually down to me cracking anything or doing anything because you don't crack encryption. Even in those days, it was too good to crack because yeah. lots of other. Lots of other kind of unglamorous stuff that goes on, and mm. and you, and it's a it, and it is a real good reminder. And I think you're right as people go through their careers, as you know, forging these collaborations and working as teams is a way better way of of kind of of getting stuff done. And and also yeah. in the complex world that we're living now, with, I mean, technically now it's even more difficult now around police and uh, and technology. The collaborations and working and getting away from that kind of um, the lone genius kind of, mm. you know, DC or somebody or DS or somebody yeah. kind of yeah, forcing yeah. things through is is quite it's it's a, it's quite funny really because it's a little bit the it's it's an interesting it's an interesting line of thought without going without kind of taking it off too far but it's it's very much like um, how the internet is changing much of how we kind of do business and and also how we how we run our lives you know it's um it's it, it's much more around kind of peer-to-peer -peer networks mm. and decentralized and certainly web3 yeah. where we're going with web3 and blockchain and all that these days it's certainly much more about peer-to-peer -peer networking and decentralized behavior yeah. than the old kind of hierarchical command and control mm. mass market structures that we've got still yeah. now within yeah. policing and everywhere else yeah, the yeah. world's changing and yeah and the internet's been around for probably, ooh, craggy, what, I don't know, in this in this kind of Web 2 phase for about 20 years. And by Web 2, I think I mean the kind of the the, the start of fate, your Facebooks, your Googles, your big platforms for about yeah. 15 years. So mm. we're, we're halfway through probably this kind of trans transformative kind of um, generation where we're going to move much more to decentralized and peer-to-peer yeah, yeah. -peer and and all that kind of stuff and get away from the mass I think, uh, policing needs to get 
get a grip of Internet 2, I would suggest, before they start thinking about <laughs> Internet 3, because at the moment it's, uh, yeah. it, we're away. But we'll come on to that in a bit in terms of where policing is yeah, yeah. in the UK <clears throat> around technology, because yeah. it's not a pretty yeah. picture, is it really? But No, so, not at all. But just going back to your career then. Yeah. Um, so you're down in London, traveling up and down um, from yeah. the National High Tech Crime Unit. In yeah. terms of your career, um, are you going through sort of the whole promotion thing or are you quite happy to stay as a sort of specialist how does it work for you where was your head uh, all that stuff yeah I was, at the time I was happy to stay as a, as a specialist but when I was down in Docklands uh, I did some acting quite a lot of acting mm-hmm. um, and got much more involved in the management side of it I wasn't um, I, I saw myself really, and again, it's all these kind of constructs that you build in your own in your own head, don't you? At the time I kind of saw myself very much as a specialist. Yeah. Uh, I was a specialist in the in the military. I honed kind of skills into certain things. I was very. I knew a lot about a small amount, and I quite liked mm. that because I felt mm. comfortable in that. Mm. And the same with the um, with with um, with the police and computers, I knew an awful lot. I mean, I did a, at the same time, I was doing a, a master's degree in forensic computing. Mm-hmm. Um, and my dissertation and all that was around volatile memory and, and volatile memory on a certain Mac, and not only on a certain Mac, but volatile memory on a certain uh, operating system on a certain Mac. So I knew an awful lot about yeah. a tiny amount. <laughs> But I quite like that, you know, because yeah. it was I could get into it, and I could I could kind of um, the more I got into it, the more I realised I didn't know, so it was more fascinating, and you kind of yeah. went through that. So I stay. I like the idea of being a specialist, but mm-hmm. as as um, and, and I suppose it, it all it all started kind of fizzing in my brain. I suppose in in uh, the national around this teamwork and how teams work together because we have these analysts passing work onto so-and-so and how it all kind of worked together. I started to kind of think much more about kind of building teams, being part of teams, yeah. managing teams and leadership and mm-hmm. strategy. And that's where my kind of career went from there. So I started wanting very much to be a specialist mm. but actually so you're, so you're still a west mercy officer at this point i'm yeah? still at that point i'm still a west mercy officer yeah yeah um it was only because then we went on and you'll remember you'll remember this you know um there was a whole uh, i've probably got somewhere a drawer full of kind of leather wallets of different mm. organizations from national crime squad to NSIS to serious organized crime agency to national you know it kind of morphed didn't it, it yeah, it, yeah, yeah it morphed from regional to national crime squad um then from kind of national crime squad to national to serious organized crime agency and then from serious organized crime agency morphed into the nca and then yeah. in the nca the working conditions and everything were changed and we moved into the nca as a so you stayed uh, you you sort of transition through all of those different organizations transition through, okay. yeah. and yeah. did that mean that you had to leave west mercy or were you just permanently seconded to those organizations for most of it i was stayed as west mercia but it was as it moved from the serious organized crime agency into the national crime agency they then changed all the terms and you became a civil servant in effect right so i left west mercia at that point right. and there was a, there was a window of opportunity where you could still um, you could still leave um, policing in West Mercer, but you could retain your police pension rights and everything. Yeah. But become part. Of you. We, we were a hybrid for right. a while, um, 
and I took advantage of that and became kind of hybrid. Uh, and we joined, I think most people, although other people, you could stay on your old contracts if you wanted to, but then if you wanted to get promoted or something, you'd have to join new terms and conditions. So I just thought at the time I might as well bite the bullet now. Yeah. Um, so I became a civil servant later on, albeit still retaining police pension rights and everything. Right, okay. So yeah, it's an interesting, um, uh, an interesting organisation, isn't it? I must admit, I've never worked in any of them, but I've sort of done business with, but yeah. I always find them certainly, you know, soccer, which then, you know, morphed into National Crime Agency. Um, I heard a, 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 a friend who you know, I won't name him to embarrass him, mm -hmm. but I, I remember him describing it as, um, I think he I think he said to Lynn Owens, um, who obviously, as you know, was the um, mm -hmm. director, director general of the National Crime Agency. I think he said to her, you seem, seem to have successfully managed to create an organization that has the worst of the civil service and the worst of the policing all in one organization. Mm. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I don't know, yeah. is that unfair, do you think? I think it's un I think it's slightly unfair um, because it still boils down to um, what, what you end up with. Um, and, and I, I think I this said, is... just, just to caveat that, I think you said it yeah. in, in jest yeah, um, yeah, yeah. because yeah. obviously they do some amazing work, but I think what he was, I think the point he was making was around the bureaucratic nature of the organization. That is spot on. That is spot on. And and I think that is spot on. And and I and I still, you know, when I look at um what's going on in policing now and and and, and I can look at um, the serious organized crime agency and and the bureaucratic nature of bringing together trying to bring together some of the civil service principles into policing. Um and also I think sometimes within policing the hierarchical um uh, nature of the decision making where you're going through several levels of kind of decision making and none of it's getting better as it goes up the decision is mm. getting watered down and worse yeah. by the time it kind of gets done that most definitely but that isn't down to um i couldn't look back and ever criticize any individual mm. it was the systems that were in place yeah you know the system the yeah. individuals i the, still think the, i look the back opposite, and think, the opposite of agile yeah the opposite complete opposite of agile but the individuals, as I look back, and these, this may be rose-tinted, there were people, like most organisations, people trying to do their best, mm. constrained by the system. Mm. And the people, we, there was some fantastic work done, but mostly in spite of the system, not because of it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, um, so I look back at the individuals trying to do that with some admiration because yeah. they could have, particularly in my world of technology, they could have left and gone and made their money in private sector a long time ago, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, but they stuck around because they had a better mission. You know, they had this kind of um, keeping people safe and trying to yeah. do the right thing. Yeah. So they stuck around in in really quite adverse working conditions and mm. circumstances yeah. to get to get this done. And that that was because the system was broken. You know. But it's a recurring theme, unfortunately, in terms of people I talk to uh, you know on this podcast or, or sort of through my own network or whatever it's a recurring theme isn't it that um, very often people have to just subvert the system in order to get yeah. things done um, yeah. and certainly you know I tended to uh, I wasn't a I was never a rebel I've never been a rebel I think this is probably the most rebellious yeah. thing I've ever done um, but you know I do think there's something there about um, better to ask forgiveness than permission sometimes isn't yeah, it? yeah 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 as soon as, as soon as you ask the question it just it's dead in the water isn't it 
yeah, it is. It is. And and that's where I think another reason um, why I kind of like working in technology because and the science side of it, because you're you 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 can get yourself wrapped up much more in things where the outcomes are better as opposed to trying to work through some bureaucracy, you know, because mm. um, you even um i mean i don't know right now because i've been out of the game now for a while even though i've still got friend friends in it it i don't think it's got better i think if anything it's got more challenging for people mm. particularly mm. As, as digital will come on to it but as, as particularly as digital has got more uh more tricky but i and, and i think the opportunities now to to um to to get it done are, are fewer because mm. you can really trip yourself up now yeah. i mean it it, because technology records everything and yeah, yeah, yeah. you know you, you can if you, if you if you don't do it the way it should be done yeah then... so let's talk a bit about um current challenges for law enforcement yeah um because you and i um both i mean I, you are way way more technical than i am I, I mean i i'm kind of a bit of a bluffer when it comes to you know technical stuff i i kind of know my way around mm -hmm. it i'm i'm yeah. I'm, mo I'm more knowledgeable i suppose around the practical applications of technology rather than yeah. how how it all works you know I, yeah, I don't yeah. really, i'm not really that interested in in yeah. ones ones and zeros frankly yeah yeah um yeah but but um but between us we know a lot don't we yeah yeah, um, we so, do, yeah. yeah so um let's just talk a bit about current challenges uh, around police technology where where yeah. where do you see the current landscape um where do you i mean because it's it's had a very poor press hasn't it in various reports the strategic review of policing was very scathing i mean where do you see where do you see the current uh capabilities for policing um i right i'll caveat i'll caveat this at the start of i'm a, I'm a supporter of policing I'm a very strong supporter of yeah, policing as, and what policing is trying to do. As I am, as I am. Yeah, very strong supporter of policing and what policing is trying to do, and always will be, and will mm. always support police wherever I can to, to to try and help with their own mission and purpose. However, I think we've lost our way. We've we've properly lost our way. I I I was warning back in. I I've got some old presentations from 2001 too, where I'm talking about if we don't. If we don't get to grips with the march and advance of technology, then policing could potentially lose its relevance mm. in, mm. in in what's what's going to come next, yeah. and we could start to decriminalise certain offences that should never ever be decriminalised. And we've got ourselves to the point now, and it's a proper bugbear of mine, where even offences as serious and horrific as rape. Mm people are talking about the fact that they're potentially decriminalized because they're mm. taking they're taking too long to go through the system so we're mm. losing people along the way we are we're not dealing with it properly with devices i mean that the whole idea of taking someone's phone off them for mm. weeks on end or months potentially mm. um when people are way more connected to these devices nowadays than they've ever been you know and taking yeah. off a vulnerable victim taking their device off them for months is just yeah you know, so you, I, might, you I, might as well just pull the plug on the investigation, mightn't you? You might as well, yeah, yeah. So you know, the fact that the the convictions now for for rape are so what is it, one point something percent? Or oh, I mean, it's just it's, I, I look it's at all really this. Really embarrassing, and, embarrassing. Yeah, it's, it's not it's not good enough. It's embarrassing, and we've had enough time and enough warnings to get this right, and we haven't done it. 
Um, and too much money, too much focus, too much attention's gone on, gone into other areas. And it's, it, again, not blaming any particular individuals. I think I can see it in all walks of life around, around um, uh, technology, but we haven't had the right, the right focus in the right areas to be able to arrive at this point now with anything like a decent solution. Mm. We still are, when I look at some of the solutions around technology, we still are looking at the symptoms and not the cause. The, the problems have been, that are being tackled aren't root cause problems. Mm. Uh, and I fear, I really fear for what, what happens next. Yeah. Um, so if we if we want to try and so I totally agree with everything you just said there. Um, I think and I I I was banging on about this for for years in the latter mm -hmm. latter few years of my service. It was a huge frustration to me mm -hmm. that that gazillions of pounds were getting pumped into projects that were, as as far as I could see, of, of very little utility yeah. to yeah. Vic victims of crime that yeah. that that were focused on. They were kind of vanity projects, as far as I yeah. could see. Yeah. Um, in yeah. many in many cases, um, investing in, you know, bringing in these fantastically well-paid consultants, consultancy companies, in to bring in systems that were mediocre at best, mm -hmm. um, yeah. uh, and and yet frontline officers and detectives and investigators were given literally nothing. In yeah. order to help them try and support victims of crime, yeah. Um, yeah. So even investigating, even the simplest um, online case of harassment mm -hmm. was almost impossible. So they were yeah. ask, asking victims to screenshot, picked their mobile phones, yeah. Yeah. all of this utter yeah. nonsense, you know. And, yeah. and, I, and I and as far as I can see, I don't think things have improved in any way um in those since those days and i'm going back to what i'm describing here is conversations i was having with people way back in like 2015 mm -hmm. um yeah. and I, I was banging my head against a brick wall and but nobody it just felt like nobody wanted to know and and no. i and i think no. it's the same across i'm not just i'm sorry as if i've been very unfair to my old force there but um i think this is a common theme across pretty much every force in the country with the very with the exception of maybe one or like durham i think were, were really mm -hmm. with under, yeah, yeah. under under mike Barnes, yeah. and i think they were yeah. very very on it weren't they yeah but, they were yeah but generally speaking it's been really poor hasn't it yeah there's, there's, there's pockets of excellence um you 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 can see the, the kind of the pockets of excellence but they, they are quite often in spite of the system again not because of it it's it's down to certain individuals dragging things through and working and pulling together other people building some great teams and there's some some, some small pockets of of excellence that you can see uh, and but but other than that i i still look at it all and just think where is this going where is this where is this going um i looked at the strategic review and couldn't you know, there's elements of that that I couldn't agree more with around more preventative work. Mm. There's when you go back to the original um, kind of Pelian principles that we all kind of, mm. you know, can't remember, is 1829 or something. Um, uh, you look at those and you just think the, the, the thread through all of that is cooperation with the public. Mm. It's cooperation with the public. Mm. Um, talked about as public consent and everything but but generally it's cooperation 
and but, you're co- only, but, but you're only going to, sorry i'll interrupt you i was going no, to say no. you're only going to get that cooperation if if you are perceived to be a a credible organization or competent organization that's exactly where i was going that's exactly where i was going that you only get you get real true cooperation and even better collaboration if you can but in the early parts cooperation if you've got trust mm. and to have trust you know the three elements of trust integrity competence and care you need to know that the people you're dealing with have integrity. They are competent and they do care about what they're trying to do. If you if you don't if you if you don't spot those things, then you lose trust pretty quick. Mm. And anybody dealing with the police at the moment around technology, I'm generalizing here because there will yeah. be pockets of excellence. I'm generalizing, but I can only really, you know when I talk to family and friends about if anything happened with you on your device, would you report it to the police? And generally particularly my daughter who's in a uh, my youngest daughter who's in her mid-20s now wouldn't go anywhere near the police if they mm. if, with with anything like that wouldn't mm. go anywhere near them because she doesn't want to lose a device for months on end she doesn't know that even if she handed over a device what else they would find and what they might make of it yeah, yeah. because quite often they seem to you know this is you know, you know this is other people talking quite often mm. the police seem to kind of lose track of what they're trying to achieve and just focus on yeah. the low-hanging fruit and yeah, think yeah. Well, we haven't been able to find the person that's done that but you know what you, yeah well you've done a, something here like we don't like the uh, the analogy i would give on that one is um many years ago when i was in special branch i was a photographer in special branch and uh we, we were in an address which well doesn't matter where where it was mm-hmm. um but we would we'd sort of sweet talked um the occupier into letting us use uh, their address as an OP and walked in um <laughs> it's quite a comic or well I should have told the story in my book actually because it, it, <laughs> it, I've just remembered it actually um walked into the bedroom uh we were using as a as an OP and um um the occupant would like to work and uh I turn around and the first thing I see is this, this bloody massive cannabis plant in the corner of the room <laughs> <laughs> and I turned and I turned around to I turned around to my colleague and said, "Have you just seen what I've seen?" And he was like, "Oh God, that's a bit of a nightmare. That's a bit. Of a, that's a bit embarrassing, isn't it?" Um, so, so anyway, later on, um, she came back. She came back from work. Obviously, hadn't twigged that it was a very, very nice professional person in a very nice professional you know very kind of upmarket yeah. part of London yeah. and um uh anyway about 20 minutes later the boyfriend arrived home and he yeah. was absolutely ashen-faced in every <laughs> ashen-faced yeah, yeah. when he sort of and he sort of like beckons to her and drags her and we knew that he's obviously dragged her out of him to say yeah, yeah. for fuck's sake <laughs> You know, what are you doing letting the old bill into the house? We've got a cannabis plant there. So, so he came back in and he was all very embarrassed. And I said, listen, I know what you're, I know what you're just about to say. I'm not interested. I'm not interested. Yeah. And, yeah. and then the, I use that, I tell that story as a, because yeah. it's a bit like the mobile phone scenario you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. We're, not, we're not interested yeah. in what, what else is on yeah. someone's mobile phone if yeah. it's not pertinent yeah. to the job. Yeah, but yeah, they, but yeah. they don't know that, do they? No, they don't know that. They don't know that at all. And also, I think um, uh, I, I could. You, you've got me on a real one of my bugbears. I could. I could talk about this whole thing around mobile devices and, and criminality for for a long time because I, 
you know, if you've been the subject of a of a um, a sexual assault or something, um, and the the, the thought of hang, handing over your phone and you might have conversations before the event, you might have conversations, you might have sent some photographs, you might have done this, you might have done that, all totally irrelevant to the fact that this has happened to you, because so what? But the defence could make a lot of it when all this is disclosed. Other people can make a lot of it. And I could see why victims and witnesses wouldn't want that, wouldn't want to go through that journey. Yeah. When in actual fact, there's a failure there of, of kind of policymaking, isn't there? Why, yeah. why have we got to the point where that is relevant? Why, yeah. why don't we have some sort of a independent digital escrow where this stuff is put in escrow and only the relevance of this is taken, taken out? Mm. Not everything disclosed yeah. to the defense not yeah, everything yeah. looked at for this yeah. this kind of investigative well we need to look at everything because of disclosure no you don't well, that's reasonable just, lines well, that, of inquiry well, that's just that's just defense defense lawyers and you can't blame them for doing it because their job is as they see it is to get their clients off isn't it um but that's just defense uh, throwing sand in the eyes of, of yeah. the jury isn't it, <clears throat> yeah, uh, it is. and just to try and distract them and uh, and away yeah. from their client's guilt isn't it yeah yeah, it is. But the but the the you know the um the 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 issue for me though with a lot of, with these devices, particularly the smart you know the smartphones and everything we're using nowadays, they are kind of they are extreme witnesses to our lives. They witness pretty much everything they do. They track where we go. They track who we speak to. They they are very very good witnesses mm. on our life they'll know more about us mm. than we know about ourselves yeah. and then we, we are expecting when the, when something happens to us that people should just hand over that witness yeah it yeah. knows more about them than they do yeah to a prosecuting and defense kind of scenario yeah i can understand why people don't want to do that and if then they don't do that and people say, well, we can't now carry on with this investigation because mm -hmm. you're not cooperating, that, for me, slams straight back to the Pelian principles of, yeah. if I'm not seen as cooperating because I'm not handing over this thing that's become this massive witness on my life and you don't see that as cooperating, then I'm not, I don't really see you as, a, as an authority. And you, know, and you can see why yeah. people are losing trust and faith in, yeah. in the police. Yeah, definitely. So you so you went on to, you end up, going on to do the transforming forensics pro pro yes. pro project didn't it so just explain yeah. explain what that was all about yeah well, that was um i think it was kicked off uh, a couple of years before i joined it um uh around i think there was it was more around the kind of fingerprints and coming up with a fingerprint solution because i think hob at the time home office biometrics were looking at um uh, changing the infrastructure but they needed somebody to come in and do well how's that infrastructure going to land in operational forensics right. and the bit that they looked at at the time was fingerprints mm. uh, how would it land in, in fingerprints and then i joined it a couple of years after being going to add some sort of digital element to it right um but um so you'll know, you dave, know. You'll know dave shaw then won't you because um, yes yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Dave, no, dave, yeah. dave was yeah. Our, was our acc such a lovely man i don't know if he's listening yeah to lovely man yeah and he used is. To be, hello dave yeah yeah no great chap dave and um he uh and he was the chief at uh, west mercy that's, at that's right yeah, yeah that's right um so yeah no i did i did run into uh run into dave um and then i kind of went on a two-year journey we developed the defense the kind of the digital forensic science strategy and all that kind of stuff um but the it it you know, digitally, it suffered because when you lump in, I used to have the opinion 
And I've still got the opinion mostly around digital that you could drop off the word digital with mm. policing because policing is policing. Mm. The laws are the same laws. It's people that you're dealing with. You know, digital should just be an intrinsic part of what we're doing. It shouldn't be a separate thing. Mm. Um, uh, and I used to think that digital and forensics were pretty fairly good bedfellows. Um, but as as my time's gone on, I've, I've thought, and I, and I can see of late, actually, there's been a part of the ways with the police digital service taking on the digital forensic programme and stuff, is that actually under the umbrella of forensics has done no favour to digital at all over the years mm. because other elements of forensics have been given prominence yeah so fingerprints that's hardly changed for 100 years yeah. um it's been given prominence mm. when when actually the did what's going on digitally should have should have been given its own focus mm. yeah. and and also forensically it's very different because forensics generally is around um a kind of a biometric it's a human thing yeah so it's about um blood, a kind DNA. Of a fingerprint blood mm. dna so it's something that you've got a known quantity that you're checking a, a database against mm. and it and it's and you've got some focus forensics at the end of the day you say the word forensic the appliance of science to law but it, but really it's just a bunch of processes yeah and you apply a bunch of processes to something that gives you a sound outcome mm. based against a biometric benchmark yeah. Digital is very different. We're not. We're not generally. We're not. We're not. What well, you're not um, comparing something against a known biometric benchmark. You're looking at volatile data. You're looking mm. at how computers work. It's a very different discipline. And the word forensic appliance of science to law is applied very differently in the digital world than it is to the traditional forensics world. Mm. Um, and Whilst there are some crossovers around following the right scientific processes to achieve uh, to achieve an outcome, those processes are very different in the world of digital than mm. they are in the world of uh, forensics. And also, I think in the world of traditional forensics, there's a lot of kind of pushing down standardization and all this kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, but it's going it's flying against what the world is doing. The world is yeah. going is, is going to individualized medicine, yeah. coming away from mass market. Well, it's 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 not going down standardization. It's and digital is not standardized. You know? So yeah. uh, I have a real problem with 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 digital sitting under a forensics general forensic yeah. banner. Well, a really interesting um, sort of development down. I'm a slightly out of the loop on this, so forgive me if I'm sort of um, going off uh, on a bit of a, a sort of a wild goose chase here, but um, the, the whole debate towards the end of my career a few years ago was, you know, around the involvement <coughs> of the forensic regulator in yeah, ISO, yeah. ISO yeah. accreditations yeah. for digital forensic laboratories. Yeah. And of course, yeah. what, what happened it there was in the same way that in the same way that um th there doesn't seem to be any sense of proportion in many sort of aspects of police decision making sometimes um the same standards of regulation were then being applied to all sorts of other areas of yeah. investigation that had yeah. maybe a, a very peripheral element of digital evidence yeah such yeah. as open source intelligence for example yeah, yeah, yeah. there was yeah, yeah. there was genuinely a debate taking place around that time yeah. as to whether if we pulled down 
um, open source information from the mm -hmm. internet to use as part of a criminal investigation, mm -hmm. that process would need to come under the same level of ISO accreditation yeah. that a digital yeah. forensics lab would need, which is utterly yeah. ridiculous, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I have a slightly different view. I don't know whether it's a different view, but I'm, or whether it's just a different perspective. You, you're just about to admit that, that was your idea, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> no, it certainly wasn't my idea. It certainly wasn't my idea. But if you look at the basic principles of, of ISO, so, so for instance, 17025, basic collaborative testing kind of principles. If you were to run your business on those principles, you'd have a very good business because it's about doing what you say you're going to do. It's about customer requirements. It's about all this kind of stuff. Mm. I think where it goes wrong is the interpretation. And people, and you, you, we've seen it in, in organisations, people build whole empires around this stuff, don't they? Yeah. Uh, and it's about the interpretation of it and the rigid interpretation of this stuff um, and the whole industry that gets built around it and the mythology of, of this kind of grows. Mm. When in actual fact, uh, when you look at even things like open source, and I follow things like Bellingcat quite, quite closely mm. with what they're doing, the processes they follow to make sure that what they show is correct are indeed really, really good processes. You can believe what they're saying because you know they follow the right processes. Mm. Well, that's open source and following the right processes. Mm. But it's not, it's not, I think the way that sometimes ISO is interpreted is it's interpreted as a bureaucratic thing. Mm. And this whole kind of thing is built around it that is seen as a blocker mm. more than an enabler. Mm. But done right, done right, a lot of the kind of the quality stuff is actually business improvement. It's a way of improving systems, mm. not putting in a load of bureaucracy. But if people don't work through the complexity of it and work out how it all fits together, and some do, some don't, then you end up with a simplified bureaucratic version of it, which is where I think a lot of people have found themselves, mm. that then people look at and say, well, we don't want to go anywhere near that. Yeah, because yeah. that will that will slow us down or will stop us doing. But do you, do you not think another another factor here, which is the the old you know bugbear of having forty three different ways of doing things, uh, forty three forces in England, Wales, and and within each of those, you've got your own individual who who runs you know that particular part of the organisation, and and everyone has their own different opinions as to what that policy or those regulations yeah. actually yeah. mean and you know yeah. and I certainly whenever I was running the the data analytics um, project in the last year of my service you know you'd get you'd get for example um, five or six information security officers for five or six different forces in a room yeah. and none of them would agree about what was yeah. actually required you know? yeah yeah that's right and, and, uh, yeah, and that's exactly right and still the case now I think where the consistency, the lack of consistency across the piece um, is, is, is still there. But I, um, and I, and I'm out of the loop a little bit with, with that over the last year or two. I, I listen to people that are still involved in it. And so I, I know that, that there's still a lot of inconsistency and a lot of problems with the implementation of it. Mm. Um, but there is still something from, you know, if I put my kind of science head on here, the, the problem I have, um, with not with particularly with digital is these uh, I, you know I, I speak about these devices as witnesses they they can be pretty unreliable mm. they how they store data how they deal with it can can lead you down the wrong path if you don't really know what you're doing when you're looking at this and and a lot of forensic if we just believe the forensic tool 
then you know there's going to be miscarriages of justice there's going to be these problems with digital mm -hmm. if we don't if we don't do it in the right place in the right way because they they just people have this uh, you know they look at the the, the the device, uh, sorry, the information that comes off devices and just tend to believe it because it looks, it's got lots of, it mm. looks like it's kind of sound. It's got yeah. lots of kind of numbers in there. Yeah. Well, it's got particularly, particularly validity. if it supports their thesis, you know. And if, particularly, yeah, if, it, if it's if it's got all that bias as well, um, then I I think we've got to be very, very careful of that. We've got to be very, very careful of that. There's been lots of times in my career where something looked some way and somebody could have, you know, we could have arrested somebody or gone, or they could have gone to prison or something because how it initially technically looked. Mm. But when you pull back several layers and well, got classic, down to actually the, what the, it did. The classic, wasn't it, was it was around going way back to those early jobs you were talking about where, um, you know, so those child abuse uh, investigations, the big sort of uh, investigations, um, you know, generated by probably a law enforcement agency on the other side of the mm. world and then they would supply thousands and thousands yeah. of, of ip addresses that That's were associ yeah. associated with um supposed you know individuals who yeah. were downloading um uh child abuse material and then as it turned out um you know most of them were to be fair but yeah, yeah, yeah. but, but yeah. as you as you know there was there was a lot in there that were just wrong weren't they yeah. Uh, so you've yeah. got some poor, poor bloke getting dragged out of bed at five o'clock in the morning who's who's completely innocent, um, yeah. having all his computer equipment seized. Is is what his wife and children then looking sideways at him, um, yeah. thinking, "Oh my God, what the hell is going on here?" And as it turns out, it's been someone else who's been surfing his Wi-Fi network or something, haven't they? Yeah, there's so there's so much these days around all the deep fake stuff that's going on, the disinformation, um, the ease of which you could probably stick somebody up if you wanted to digitally, mm. um, or even accidentally, that just to go off the basics of run, run the device through a simple tool, produce a report and take somebody to court off the back of that frightens me. The thought of that frightens me because that will work probably most occasions but there'll be there'll be quite a lot of time to where it's wrong mm. and and all it needs is a bit more looking into yeah and you'll sort out exactly what's what's gone on here mm. um but that you know it does go on i know it goes on but what are the processes in place to ensure that oh. we have that the know, problem is it, it, the problem is volume isn't it and um it you is know, yeah it, you've got such an unbelievable if you wanted to give a sort of gold or platinum um job for every single investigation in order to prevent that from happening then by definition you're creating huge backlogs aren't you but the, yeah you are but the volume we can do something we can do something about the volume I, I, again I, I look at i'll go back to um kind of traditional uh, investigative techniques and you look at um you know something goes on in the, in the housing estate say it's a serious uh, or a major incident or a serious crime uh, there's a cordon put up um and the cordon is kind of put up based on resources a lot of the time how far how, how much house to house can we do how far do we go and what do we based on resources um but the thing is with the digital world is is it enables us to house to house the world you know, mm, yeah. <laughs> it enables us to put the cordon, set the cordon mm. as massive, 
mm. because yeah. we can yeah, but yeah. that doesn't mean we should yeah. yeah you know it doesn't mean we yeah. should yeah so, i mean to be fair to be fair the 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 upside of all of this um we've probably tended to, to focus too much on the negatives or the challenges or <clears throat> problems but the reality is that uh and certainly in my last few years i I did an awful lot of authorities um, for surveillance uh, authorities and and um, and uh, as well as sort of the, the usual sort of telecoms stuff. And um, certainly in those complex investigations now, the the murders, the organized crime group investigations, the you know, the threats to life, all of that kind of stuff. Um, it's almost impossible now to commit a serious crime without leaving a massive footprint all over the place, isn't it? And that, and that, for me, is hitting the nail on the head. If we get this right, the upside is huge because mm. it's very difficult to do anything these days without leaving some sort of a trace. Mm. Um, so get this right, the upside to it is everything we're trying to do, that you create safe environments for people to thrive, and the flip side to that, because everything has a duality, doesn't it? The flip side to that is that's a hostile environment for anybody that wishes harm to operate in. Mm -hmm. If technically, if I knew that technically um, whatever I did next, you know, if I was to head off and, and do some sort of criminality, mm. that actually the, the, the uh, prosecuting authorities or the police or anybody were, were technically savvy mm. i'd be thinking twice about that because mm. you'd be oh crikey they yeah. you know they, they, they're good. this is going to be difficult to do it's a quite a hostile environment yeah. Yeah, yeah, to yeah. go into if you know that somebody's watching yeah yeah um if you don't then you can operate with impunity can't you? because you can go through now you can, actually you can do more because you can yeah. you can yeah. you yeah. can think i can do more here because nobody's yeah. going to catch me yeah it's funny because i'm i'm sort of in the process of kind of uh, drafting out sort of the initial stages of a novel for the first time and um and it's really interesting because because i i'm sort of without sort of uh you know spoiler alerts but um I, i'm kind of looking at a particular character who's trying to avoid doing that and yeah, yeah. trying to trying to avoid leaving a, an electronic yeah. sort of breadcrumb trail yeah yeah and and i'm having to really rack my brains about how mm -hmm. you how you can do that and i i understand this stuff really well probably not as well as you do but um yeah it's it's i would say it's almost impossible now living in the 21st century isn't it it's a, it's a it's um it's one of those actually where if you know what you're doing still mm -hmm. it's still with encryption and everything else it's it's possible but you've got to be on it all the time yeah you've got so to be disciplined so disciplined and on it all the time it is possible to do but it's but there's a real rigid discipline about how you would do that because if you if you and it's all about perspective but if you imagine the world in through a digital lens uh as me being a bit of a nerd around this quite often try to do that and observe the world digitally. So look at it from a point of view of networks and everything and nodes and all the traces we leave. It's pretty intense. It's a pretty intense network to try and step your way through yeah. without setting off tripwires, without setting off this. But if you understand that network and landscape, mm. 
there are there's many things you can do to protect yourself and still stealthily walk through that world yeah but it's how but but it will restrict your interaction but you Mm. can still do it and so for most of us i think yeah you're right to to go off and do something we wouldn't think of all this all this stuff but for for the real high-end kind of criminals that that still want to do this Mm. it's all there for them it's all Mm. there for them but it is a rigid discipline but but yeah you say that but then you look at the encro chat you know the compromise of the encro chat uh, which led to the dismantling of multiple organized crime groups literally all over the world so so they think they're okay don't they but then technology will change or that or their particular technology of choice will be compromised by law enforcement yeah but again that's the beauty of getting on the right side of this and getting ahead of this is is yes because you can say, you know, today um, I'm fairly well versed in this stuff and could probably keep myself anonymous for a while, but I don't know what innovations coming next that will just suddenly shine a light on everything I've done. Exactly. You know, exactly. I don't know that. I don't know that. Exactly. So, so if anyone, I knew... anybody out there, any criminal out there who thinks that they've got the magic solution to anonymity is deluding themselves, aren't they? Yeah, because yeah, something they are, else yeah. will, will come down the line yeah, very quickly yeah. that will make yeah. it completely transparent wouldn't they yeah yeah it will and and you've got you know you've got kind of um a different topic completely but when you look at some of the cryptocurrency and blockchain and how that's going and everything uh people are talking about kind of different worlds but but yes but something will come that will shine a light on this stuff something will come and because it always does it's the tech you know it's a technology arms race isn't it so but but again though if i knew that the police was uh, you know ahead of this and the research and development that was going into it meant that mm. at some point and i don't just mean about on the very high-end jobs like endocrine and that endo chat and stuff like that but i mean generally they had processes that meant that this kind of thing was they had they were they were looking forward and looking at this i wouldn't carry out some of this criminality it would prevent me from doing it because yeah. i think well they're going to shine a light at some point Definitely. They're going to shine light, and when I when I look at a lot of the um, the criminality that I you know the the the, the child abuse stuff, um, most of the people there that I ended up arresting and interviewing never thought they would get caught. Hmm. They had they never thought they would get caught. Yeah, they were they were amazed we were knocking on their door because yeah. they put some things in place that they thought the low hanging fruit type police behaviour won't get yeah. me because I've got this in place um so they were amazed that we'd got them yeah but that's the wrong way isn't it we 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 have to create an environment where they're expecting that if they do something they will probably get caught because yeah, yeah. of the trip wires that will get yeah, yeah. And we've got the, the technologies there to be able yeah. to do this. Oh, yeah. Oh, I you can know, see, I can, when I was a DI and child abuse unit, I remember, um, you know, pre, um, adult male um, offenders from those types of offences getting booked into <clears> custody and they were giving it, giving it the big one about how clever they were with mm. technology. It was like, mate, look around you. You're in, yeah, you're, yeah. you're in a yeah. cell, you're, you've got handcuffs yeah. on it and you're in a cell block. Yeah. So you're, so you're yeah. not that good, you know? Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Listen, Neil, um, and, shall we just move into your um yeah. just um constant time we've been going for about an yeah, hour and a half which has been it's brilliant it's really fascinating i'm really enjoying the, our chat but um just move into your sort of private sector life yeah now. so so you're running tell us a bit about your current you're running a company at the moment which which i looked on uh on your linkedin profile i had a little read of that document you uploaded and then but just explain mm-hmm. what you're currently doing then 
what 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 we're currently doing is um if i just go back about 18 months uh i bumped into um some people that had spent years putting together some software around digitizing um complex policies and procedures right so digitizing complex policies and procedures and uh, helping people work on work through be guided through these rather than having to read them themselves and work out what to do right. and I was quite fascinated by that uh, and then about a year ago I was um, looking at a company that was doing some quite whizzy data science and I just thought you know there's some there's a real powerful service that can be created here by bringing together some knowledge processing some mm-hmm. data processing bring these things together and you can then start to help people navigate the, the, the complex world of in in the instant what we've hit on it because it's my own background is safeguarding right so at the moment safeguarding is very complex there's a lot of rules a lot of procedures and we've um we've got the ability to um digitize and we, in fact, we've done it. Our first application is uh, in um, uh, safeguarding in um, uh, children, children and vulnerable people. We've got the ability, and we've done it with, with that, is to digitize these policies and procedures into an application mm-hmm. that is a conversation rather than somebody trying to work out what do I do here. So, they have, so the conversation is, uh, are you aware... So within your organization, within your working week, so this is, this is almost like a weekly or a monthly risk assessment that people would go through, go on the app, and are you aware of, um, uh, uh, of any um, uh, child abuse or, or um, it's different categories of child abuse? Mm-hmm. Uh, are, you, are you aware of any of, the, any of this going on in your organization? And you look at it and you can go, and most of the time you just go through this conversation, no, 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 because most of the time mm-hmm. it's going to be no. Mm-hmm. If and if if uh, and the difference between these applications and what we've developed here and say something like a chatbot or a normal workflow is we without getting too technical we use what's called no code in other words um, we don't use we don't use to encode and digitize we don't use normal software technology so hmm. the permutations we can go to are huge i liken it a bit to nature the, hmm. how nature deals with complexity is when you when you really go under the microscope of nature, it's simple programs, very simple programs that, when amplified and multiplied, it looks complex. And it's the same with us. We build out these simple kind of workplace pathways, stick them all together, and you can you can digitize quite complex policies and procedures. So people are are asked, so if you've got a, a safeguarding responsibility, a teacher, a football coach, or something, mm. every uh, every month or every week, however, depending on the organisation. You go through and you go through this risk assessment of what um, of, uh, uh, of whether you've uh, you're aware of any of this going on in your organisation. If you are, mm. or if you type in mm. um, yes, uh, I think actually um, that um, there's some physical abuse going on, emotional abuse, or all the different categories, classifications mm. of uh, of, uh, of abuse. I think this is going on, but I'm not sure. Then we can show a video. We can show some other content to help them help them work out whether it is or it isn't. So it's kind of yeah. un, it's kind of yeah. training, it's constant training as well. And then mm. if they if they then decide actually I am a bit concerned about this, mm. and they say I'm concerned about it, then this is where the kind of the data side kicks in because if they go through certain pathways, tripwires are set off, people are automatically uh, notified, 
Um, cases are automatically created. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot of stuff that goes on in the background. It's all indexed. It's all we've got. We've then got AI that can look at this and pull out the different elements mm-hmm. of it. All this goes on in the background mm-hmm. before the person's even then decided, you know, ordinarily in life, yeah. decided to report it. Yeah. Um, because they're already reporting it just by going through this process. And we've then encoded kind of the reporting element of it, which which generally is a, some sort of safeguarding referral form. We've right. encoded all that into the system. So if you also want to go on, you can then sit on your device or your desktop or your phone or whatever, and then you can just go through. And again, it's a dialogue. Yeah. You're not presented with a big form. You're just going through a dialogue. You're adding some information. And this is all automatically being stored and then filtered mm-hmm. and indexed and searched, searchable yeah. and all this kind of stuff. So it's, it's digitizing the world of, um, safeguarding mm-hmm. onto a platform that we are making it out so it's very scalable mm. and what we what we what we're looking at even though the first our first application um, is uh, child abuse we're actually looked at it at a bit in a bigger way we've looked at it as the framework from dozens of use cases there aren't there dozens of use cases yeah but the framework that we're using to 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 apply this is the united nations sustainability development goals 17 of them 169 targets and the first target we're looking at is 16.2 which is um stopping violence neglect and exploitation of of children Mm -hmm. so our first application 16.2 but where i can see this going and 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 i and i we're having some really interesting conversations with people is around other areas. So the second one we want to do is ending violence against women and girls. And the third one is discrimination because mm. it, for me, it changes the culture from whistleblowing to everybody is having to report all the time, the state of the nation. Mm. So if you're just relying on whistleblowing or somebody having to stick the head above the parapet, that we've seen how well that's worked for us, haven't we? It's the, mm. That kind of system doesn't work well. Yeah, well, the whistleblower ends up getting targeted. They do, yeah. But if it's everybody's responsibility, and every month or every two weeks, they have to go through a system where, mm. and it's just a very short system where they're having to report whether they've been aware, so just look at it from a point of view of sexism, misogyny or something, in your organisation, are you aware that and go through no, 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 or yes, I am, mm, mm. Uh, and, the, and report it that way? That's then everybody's responsibility, not yeah. just the whistleblower. Well, I can definitely see applications there for, I mean, we've talked quite a few times on this podcast and um, with various people around the um, poor, poor quality of police lead, leadership very often. Yeah. And, the wrong people getting into senior positions because they can yeah. kind of talk the talk and there's yeah. no ele- there's no element of 360 feedback you know there's, yeah. there's all sorts of, and the same can be said for so many other organizations i'm mm-hmm. sure you, you get people slipping through the net who, who should never be managers uh have got yeah. no no leadership skills etc so if you were to yeah. like build something that allows every member of an organization to effectively rate their own managers on a yeah. on, an, on an ongoing continual basis or whatever yeah there's, there's also stuff there. So one of my uh, last guests and the podcast will be going out next week is um, is Warren Barlow. And Warren um, developed so much of the, the standard operating procedures for counterterrorism police operations rooms for sort of mm-hmm. extreme, extreme threat scenarios. 
and we were talking in, in our conversation about how um, there's a real vulnerability in police control rooms about the actions that should be taken in the event mm -hmm. of a spontaneous extreme threat scenario. Um, yeah. And very often you can, you've just got like the poor old control room inspector or chief inspector will probably end up you know grabbing hold of an mm -hmm. a4 an a4 folder yeah lots yeah. of pieces yeah. of paper and trying to then figure out what it is that they should do so yeah there you go i've just given you another two use cases yeah haven't I? there we are two, yeah well there's this we, we find take them 20 20 percent on each of those uh, <laughs> fair enough <laughs> um we um we find them we find them everywhere i mean and, and and for us, we've—I mean—the the two bits of software we've we've kind of pulled together, and the thinking behind that, and then the, the thinking over the last eighteen months about how we how we actually do this has been pretty extreme. It's been a fantastic journey, actually. But but it's 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 a way of the way we kind of the model we use is is you, first off you have to deal with the complexity. Hmm. Once you've dealt with the complexity, then you've got a lot, you've got some data. From that data, you can then glean the right knowledge. From that knowledge, you can then glean the right intelligence. Mm -hmm. And from if you then got the right intelligence and the right situational awareness, which is what you were just talking about there, yeah. you can then coordinate things better. Yeah. So the way I the way I've kind of got to it with, with the work I've done with this is if, if you if you don't, you know, that that's a fairly if if you don't understand the complexity, you can't do the coordination. Mm -hmm. And if you can't do the coordination very well then you are minimizing your opportunities to prevent or intervene early in harm and abuse mm. because, you, because you, you are just more reactive. Yeah. You're just reactive. Yeah. Whereas what, what I'm trying to do with this new platform is become much more proactive around safeguarding, mm. much more proactive, not a reactive thing where we're just reacting to stuff, proactively creating this kind of safe environment, creating mm. this hostile environment that we spoke about on this platform because if you if you don't if you don't get a hang particularly around the data mm. and what data that, that you can that you can gather and the, all the different data points and everything and a proper handle of that yeah. how how are you ever yeah. going to get yeah. your hands around well, this problem the, the proof of the proof of what you've just said there is in is in the outcomes of uh, the findings of of serious case reviews into domestic homicides or child yeah. um, deaths uh, at the hands of abusive parents and it's the same bloody issues again yep. and again yep. and again isn't it and in the yep. same way and we talked about this I talked about this with with Warren uh, the learning from um, you know catastrophes like the Manchester Arena bombing mm -hmm. for example yeah um, again very often a lot of these a lot of these jobs um, the learning gets lost doesn't it it gets yep. forgotten it's yep. it gets gets forgotten whereas if you can hardwire that learning into a, yeah. pl a platform that will never forget it and yeah. will, will always remind you that yeah. have, have you done this have you done that you know yeah yeah so. and, and it's it's you know i'm really conscious that what we do as well is is, is run and led by people so it's the old uh, i think gartner did a report a little while ago around automation you know everything that can be automated will be automated Everything else, we need to augment humans to be able to keep up and, and cope, and that's essentially what I'm doing with this platform. Is is it's we're not we're not doing the risk assessments. We're providing the information for for people to be able to make decisions quicker mm -hmm. around uh, about around abuse and harm. So we're we're providing people with some very powerful. First off, we're digitizing all the complexity, so they don't have to remember all the different policies and procedures. They just need to have a dialogue 
with our application. They don't need to remember what they've got to do to then go and report it because it's all, all automated in the background. But what they what we do need to do is make sure that people are in the middle of it, constantly updating the knowledge, constantly looking at the feedback, constantly mm. pushing the boundaries of, 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 of knowledge and experience to ensure that the platform continues to grow. Yeah. Because that the strength in it is that yeah, the strength yeah, in it is yeah. an ability to grow yeah. and push out. Well, it's interesting. I've downloaded. Sorry, we'll wrap up in a minute because I can't. We're nearly we're one on four hours <laughs> and we talk all day. But um, yeah, I mean, I've downloaded a piece of software recently, which is a sort of a, I'm not using it now. I don't worry. Uh, called Otter, which is a an artificial oh, intelligence yeah. sort of transcription um, yeah. thing uh, that you can plug into uh, yeah. things like Zoom and teams and what have you or or any conversation for that matter it'll automatically describe it yeah. transcribe yeah. it in, in real time and yeah, it's um it's really good it's very clever i mean the more yeah. sorry i'm not taking um i'm not taking any sort of mm. uh, uh, <laughs> money from otter for this but um yeah it it, it learns you know it yeah. it's, the first yeah. time it did it it was a bit shit second time yeah. it was better third or fourth yeah. time it's really starting to learn what you sound yeah. like because obviously yeah. you correct you correct it manually and it, it then knows yeah. you know and it's very yeah. it's it, you know all of this stuff is just gonna we're all becoming cyborgs aren't we basically yeah we are in a way but it's but it's keeping where where i think i'm i'm um my fascination with some of this is making sure that the humans stay in control of it yeah the people stay in control of it and and so the platform that we're developing is very people centric you can't it's the ai that we use is not the ai on decision making it's just mm. ai on data yeah so yeah. it's not the ai on the decision making yeah, it's yeah. not we're not asking the machine to make the decisions here that's down to people we're just giving people the right mm. information at the right yeah, time yeah. to be able to make the decision because people are still we're out we're still very good at that we're still very yeah. good decision makers we just need the information and where can where so, can people find you where what's what's the name of the company where can people find you it's orgestra the oh, company's orgestra that? uh a-u-g-e-s-t-r-a it's a mash between augmentation and orchestration oh. um uh, so it's Orgestra, and the website is orgestra.com. Brilliant, fantastic. Um, but so. but I've also got the LinkedIn page. We haven't. We're still pre-revenue. Mm. With I'm, at the moment, I mean, as we speak, um, I'm seeking funding now. I'm we're working with a company, um, and I'm sat in front of investors. And because what we're talking about here to scale this requires a fair amount of funding. Yeah. Um, but where where people can help me is kind of joining the mission with me and just yeah. saying, well, look, this is going to be useful. Mm. Um, mm. Um, so again, it's good to have conversations with investors when I can say to, and I've, and I've got a lot of people already saying, and I've got yeah. some good testimonials saying, yeah. what they've got now, the technology is fantastic. Throw yeah. a load of money into it and kind of build it up. This this actually could be yeah. really beneficial for Safeguard. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, listen, um, we'll probably need to draw a line there because um, uh, you're going to be you're going to need a drink after this, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> Drink a lie down. Go and have a lie down, yeah, <laughs> in the dark room. But listen, thanks, Lee. It's been brilliant. This has been really fascinating. I've really enjoyed our chat. It's been really good. And um, yeah, a lot of food for thought there, isn't there? So yeah, much going yeah. on, isn't there? So and, much um, going on. And no, no um, thank you. And thanks for inviting me on. It's, um, it's I've actually pleasure. really enjoyed it. I've really good. enjoyed it. Excellent. Good. Excellent. So um, brilliant. Okay. Well, listen, okay. Um, I'll leave you to get on with the rest of your day. And uh, the very best of luck with the business venture. And uh, we'll catch up for a beer at some point, hopefully. Definitely. Definitely. You take care. Thanks. You take care. Cheers and bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.
If you enjoyed my podcast, I'd be really grateful if you could go on Apple Podcasts, if you use Apple, and give it a five-star review and maybe add a few words telling me what you like about it, what you'd like to see more of, or what you'd like to see less of. If you use Spotify, you can give a five-star review. You can't write anything, but please give me a five-star review on Spotify. And if you've read my book and you've enjoyed it, can you please, please go on Amazon and review it and add some comments? I'd be really, really grateful. Finally, if you want to send me an email, you can do that um, via my website, which is www.tjfbook, all one word, tjfbook.com. And I promise you, I'll reply to you. And finally, if you want to join the Tango Juliet Foxtrot Facebook site, you will find it, funnily enough, on Facebook. Thanks ever so much. Bye. Once we had a policeman, he was often in our street. We used to smile and wave at him while walking on his feet. But now we never see him, it really makes us frown. No longer do we feel that we're the safest street in town. Oh. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you.